You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Out of structure. Let's do it. We have time to run walls. If it's first and ten, walls. Any down and distance, I don't care. The game is over, and the Chiefs' kingdom has firmly planted its flag on top of football's highest summit. And Chiefs' kingdom, get ready to welcome your champions. Welcome, Chiefs' kingdom, to a postseason edition of the Out of Structure podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, you got to be licking your chops, ready for some playoff football. Man, this weekend got me ready, Stags. What a fun weekend of football. I'm I'm chomping at the bit for this game coming up now. We know our opponent. We know when it's happening. Saturday, 3.30, kickoff at Arrowhead against the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm going to be there. You know me, Stags, so I'm, I'm fired up, man. What's up? Absolutely. Can't, can't wait to hear the stories coming out of Arrowhead this weekend. Oh, yeah. uh, but first, let's look back at what happened this past weekend. Uh, like you said, it was a pretty enjoyable wild card round. There were several games... I wouldn't call it great football per se, but they were at least close games and uh, uh, Chiefs fan had a lot to root for. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. I mean, after the first game of the weekend, the Seattle 49ers game, Seattle gave them a little run in the first half. I, that, that was exciting. And then, you know, the Niners took off and then you watch the, the beginning of that Chargers Jags game. You're like, man, you know, we're not really getting exciting postseason football this, this year, apparently, uh, you know, 27, nothing. The char- Chargers go up on the Jags and, you know, Sags, we were talking about it beforehand, but, uh, you know, I, I was out I was out Saturday night. I was in Kansas City, uh, you know, amongst the people, the, the fine people of Kansas City. And it was it was fun what, uh, rooting with everybody watching the ja- the Chargers Charger, uh, you know, Charger it up. I mean, that was awesome uh, seeing them completely blow, you know, that 27 point lead. Brandon Staley melting down. Joey Bosa melting down. I mean, that clip was hilarious. I'm sure you saw it where. Uh, you know, Joey Bosa slams his helmet down. Staley like scrambles like he's a ball boy to, to pick it up for him and give it back to him. And then Bosa immediately gets it and slams it right back down. Uh, so yeah, yeah. He was not actually ejected from that game, but no. but should have been based on what a lot of people said because he had he got a flag for saying something to the refs. He got a flag for unnecessary roughness, uh, uh, roughing the passer, and then he got that one. Um, it's it's interesting to see how he stayed in that game. Now, I don't think he played a lot after that. I, I kept watching. seemed like he was on the sideline, so maybe he was benched more than ejected there. But it was a, interesting. I saw a lot of people calling, why isn't he officially ejected from me? No, you're right. He actually – they benched him. The Chargers straight up in a playoff game. that he was so, he, he, They were so fed up with that, I guess, that, that Staley benched him, and he wasn't playing as much down the stretch. And, of course, again, you know, the Chargers – you know, blowing a huge lead in the postseason. And yeah, I, I, it's just, it's crazy, man, because Herbert goes up 27 nothing. And I tweeted out and I say, you know, I, I thought Trevor Lawrence and Herbert might have been closer going into this game, but Herbert just apparently is on a different stratosphere. 
But Stag, this is just a this is just a, a quick point I want to we can talk about real quick. That might be this is just really Herbert's huge weakness is he's just so robotic, so like technically you know sound like you know refined. He just has like he's almost too robotic. Like he has no like emotion and like oh shoot I have to go win this game first. I have to put us you know put this on our back. Trevor Lawrence does, and that's that's what you see, and and, and that's why he's a winner. That's why he came back from four interceptions in the first half and 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 made four touchdown drives to to make the comeback. It's just kind of crazy that you know Herbert gets all this love, all this praise, and I think he's a really really good quarterback, but he just like doesn't have that instinct that Burrow, Mahomes, you know, obviously Lawrence apparently does too. I don't know if you have a, a take on that, but it, it was just really shocking to me that Herbert allowed because you can call it on the coach all you want, but a quarterback eventually has to not allow that comeback to happen. Yeah, if you're a Chargers fan or a player or you're just an A Bear himself, you got to be disappointed in how <laughs> in, in how the your first playoff game with your franchise quarterback went. And and yeah, I mean, anytime you've had these dramatic postseason comebacks. A lot of times, you're right. You can say the defense collapsed, and that's why uh, the other team came back. But sooner or later, it doesn't matter if the offense goes out and scores again. And so it really uh, it does fall on his shoulders a little bit. And, and it is interesting. You know, I, I don't want to write off at the guy's whole career and say he doesn't have the clutch no. gene, but absolutely did not show it in this game. Yeah, it's just and, – and, and honestly, you know, it's just it's – just, it, it's it's a big part of quarterback that is, is easy to overlook. Like it's it's like Kirk Cousins too. Kirk Cousins, when you watch him play, he looks like an amazing quarterback. He looks like uh, you know he he throws with great technicality. He he launches the ball. He can put it into any you know any tight window. You know he makes the right decisions a lot of the times. But you saw it this weekend too. He doesn't have that killer instinct either. And I and I really think think it's it's something that it's easy to overlook in quarterbacks. And and it's why I love that we have Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. And I think the Jaguars should be really happy with who, with who they got because I think it was easy to maybe look at Lawrence as someone that's never faced adversity, you know, throughout his college or high school career. But man, you know, it, there, there's a reason he maybe didn't. It's because he he knows how to win and and gets it done and has that 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 winning instinct. So, you know, that, 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 I just wanted to shout out the Jags. You know, I know they're our upcoming opponent. No more praise after this, but uh, you know, it was cool to see Trevor Lawrence kind of you know prove why he was the number one overall pick. Yeah, it really was interesting. It was an interesting wild card round because, as I mentioned, it wasn't elite football being played. Uh, Cincinnati, Buffalo, both let inferior opponents, obviously inferior opponents, with right with not just backup quarterbacks but third string quarterbacks coming come back and and make games out of these things. Miami had a really good chance to win that game. They, they didn't get it done. Uh, Baltimore to to maybe a lesser extent, but those both of those games you look at and you say, there's no reason why that it should have been that close. And, you know, it, it maybe does it make you think about the chiefs two chief rivals in the, in the AFC playoffs, both struggling in the wild card? Does that make you think, Hey, maybe both of these teams are weaker than we thought. There is something to that. I think, I, I, you know, both games were division opponents and, and there's always something, you know, with divisional opponents, you know, playing a team for a third time, you know, both teams just know each other so well. And I do think that figures in, but you know, especially bills, I'll focus in on the bills here because, you know, with all the talk about the chiefs, you know, uh, you know, turning the ball over too much this year, their turnover differential, the bills have the third most turnovers in the NFL behind the Texans and the Colts. And they played one less game than them. The, the Bills have turned the ball over a lot this year, and, and it was a huge part, a huge problem in this game, allowing Miami to stay in it. 
Miami had a great chance, man. You know, Jalen Waddle, a couple drops. You know, Mike McDaniel uh, ripping his vape on the sideline, not getting his plays in and in on time. Uh, you know, I it, it is pretty amazing that that the Dolphins had 31 points and were even in this with with some of the dysfunction they had. But I really, I I do think it's something that a lot of people are overlooking about the Bills is. You know, I think we've always known Josh Allen's pretty volatile, but especially this year, he he has like 30 combined fumbles and interceptions, not not all lost fumbles, but just fumbles and interceptions. And again, they're third in the league in, in, in turnovers overall. So, uh, you know, lost turnovers. So, you know, I, I think the Bills, it is, it, it is why I feel good about the Bengals right now. I know the Bengals barely squeaked out that Ravens win, but, you know, hey, that, that's again, the Ravens know how to play them tight. That's a really good Ravens defense. The Bengals squeeze it out. You know, you got to give them credit there. So I, I think I think the Bills, there is something to maybe take away from um, from their game there. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to face the Chargers in this up, upcoming round is that divisional yeah. factor. Just right. the, the the teams that know each other so well, that constantly play each other tight. Uh, it is uh, it's a little bit of a relief that the opponent that we decided on, that we kind of say decided on, the opponent that we <laughs> are going to talk about from here on out, Jacksonville Jaguars are the the Chiefs divisional round foe. And it's an interesting story, I think, to see how did we get here? So how did it come to be that the Chiefs are going to play the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, in the playoffs? You know, there was a there was a lot of time this season where people didn't believe that Jacksonville would be in the playoffs at all. Obviously, they they make it to the playoffs as a four seed and they win their their matchup against a a pretty talented Chargers team. So how did we get here? Now, if you ask Big Cat Country, Joseph Acosta, and Jag's Twitter, uh, the, this this quote that's picking up steam on their side is, it was always the Jags. <laughs> whatever, or whatever, it's like a romantic comedy. It was, it was always them. They were always the, the, the one that was right in front of you that you didn't realize yes. uh, how beautiful they were. Uh, this is a team that started off the season three and seven, including the the ten point loss to the Chiefs. Uh, but then they went six and one after that with some relatively quality wins. I mean, they beat the Titans, uh, they blew out the Texans, they blew out the Jets, uh, they beat the Cowboys, they beat the Titans again um, in, in that run. Their last loss was a bad loss to to Detroit, who actually came on really really strong in the second half of the season themselves. So wanted to talk a little bit about how the Jags got there. Uh, what did they do to end up being the champions of the AFC South, a nine and eight team with five straight victories to, to close out the regular season, getting the four seed and getting the victory. Uh, what have you seen from this team that, that got them to this point? Well, you mentioned the chiefs game, the first game, you know, it is really cool to kind of hear you hear stories out of Jacksonville that, you know, after that game in the in the locker room post game, Doug Peterson, you know, apparently rallies the troops a little bit and 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 tells them straight up, "Hey, week eighteen, we play the Titans. That's going to be for the division. I'm telling you right now, we're three and seven, but I'm telling you right now, we're taking care of business, and that game is going to be for the division." He told them that after the Chiefs game, and you mentioned it right there, six and one since you actually add the wild card game, it's seven and one, right? The the the, the wild card game gets them to seven wins in eight games for a team that last year was a number one overall pick because they were so, such an incompetently run team just shows you how good Peterson is, how, 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 how good of a coach he is. But I, we talked about Lawrence already a little bit, but it really shows his development, man. The thing is they were always statistically a really good team. If you follow EPA, if you follow, you know, how, you know, the, the, the DVOA, the football outsiders metrics kind of, you know, tracking efficiency on offense and defense throughout the season, 
the Jaguars were a top 10 team, even when they were three and seven, three and six, they had some bad losses to kind of get to them to that record. And then it really felt like, okay, you know, they, they, they have kind of lost it a little bit, but like you said, you know, they, they rallied the troops, you know, won some games down the stretch, you know, in impressive fashion, they've made a lot of comebacks, man. I mean, that's, that's one thing we got to remember, you know, if the chiefs go up 10, 13, nothing or something, don't count out these Jags, man, the cardiac Jags, man, they've made, that comeback against the Cowboys, you know, a few weeks, uh, you know, in the regular season, they beat the Ravens in the regular season on a on a fourth quarter comeback, and then obviously this last one in, in, against LA. So, I really think it's all about the the coach and the quarterback. You know, I, I really think that's the main thing. They have they don't have su- a lot of talent. You know, they're not this super talented team on defense or offense. You know, they have a lot of if they're veterans, they're just kind of you know solid guys, solid players, not star guys, and the rookies you know, even if they do have high ceilings as rookies, they're still rookies. And so that, you know, there's limitations there, just like we we as Chiefs uh, fans know. So that's where Jaguars, you know, they're making this happen with a really good head coach and really good quarterback. That's really what it comes down to. And that's why, you know, you can't take this game too too much for granted because Doug Peterson is going to come in and and, and know how to, you know, give the Chiefs a run for their money a little bit. Yeah, I think Doug Peterson – deserves particularly coach of the year honors for how he's turned this franchise around. Yeah. How he's gotten them to this point. He's done it by being aggressive. Uh, if you look back at this game this weekend, uh, they went for two twice. They, they went for a fourth and one uh, with a, uh, a really well-designed running play. Yeah. Uh, this is a, you know, he, he's got them playing with, with confidence uh, and it does take a special kind of team to come back from huge deficits like that, to not give up, to not, I phone it in in the second half whenever you're down that big. It is a um, it is a testament to to your right coaching and quarterback play, which is you know in many in many ways all that really matters in the NFL anyway. Exactly. Um, I will say though, again, their defense has, has been uh, has been pretty good at times. They they really held uh, the Chargers to to was it three points in the second half uh, this weekend. Uh, that's saying something against, again, a Chargers team that's just loaded on offense, uh, even if they, uh, through their own stupidity, didn't have Mike Williams available this week. They still had they still had a, a roster you know, full of, of playmakers on offense. Uh, you look back again at their recent wins, you know, they, there's some, you know, Texans 31-3, the Jets 19-3. Those aren't, you know, incredible offenses, but if you hold NFL teams to three points, uh, you're doing something. And Sure, they gave up 30 to the Chargers, but the, there was five turnovers <laughs> in yeah. that game that put their defense in a really bad position. Uh, so you look at the when the Chiefs give up a lot of turnovers, their defense doesn't look very good. And, and so and there's a huge correlation there. So I think uh, this defense being pretty solid without, again, a lot of big names. Right. Um, season-wise, statistically, you know, bottom half of the league in sacks, bottom bottom half yeah. of the league in turnovers forced, but uh, somehow, you know, some way get the job done. Yeah, I will say, you know, their pass rush does, you know, it hasn't produced, you mentioned kind of bottom half of the league in sacks, but they are among all AFC playoff teams, the, the team with the highest pressure rate, uh, besides the Chiefs, I should say. So all AFC, you know, potential playoff opponents, you know, they, they were generating pressure. And it's because they do have some 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 cool packages that they get into in pass downs. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, just just not having, you know, maybe like star guys, but just solid players. You know, we thought Josh Allen, the, the Jaguars edge rusher, was going to be, you know, a guy worth, you know, giving a lot of money to. And, and he's a free agent this offseason. Maybe he still earns it. But 
you know, he, he, he hasn't, you know, this year he hasn't looked like that, but he's still a really good player. Just not maybe a star player. Like maybe some thought he's their, you know, leading edge rusher, obviously Trayvon Walker, the number one overall pick this past season, you know, he's physically really gifted, really talented, but he's a rookie. There's still some, some, you know, pass rush skill stuff that he, that he may not have, but they have Arden key to throw in there as well. Dwayne Smoot, Dewan Smoot, however you pronounce it. Um, both two reserve defensive ends that they will bring in additionally and have their little NASCAR package themselves. Arden Key will come from the inside and they'll give you s- some trouble. The thing is, you watch the last game, the Chiefs Jaguars game, the offensive line did a really good job. And Mahomes did too. I should say, Mahomes, honestly, it was almost more impressive. Mahomes' pocket management because, you know, those guys were given, you know, a little bit of trouble to, you know, Joe Tooney's not going to, you know, always deal well one on one with an Arden Key. You know, he's just so long, so explosive. And, and, and there's sometimes he's going to give up some ground. But when Mahomes manages the pocket like he did that first game, you know, Wiley had some trouble with a guy like Trayvon Walker. Walker's going to overwhelm him. It's just going to happen. As long as you give him some chip help, as long as Mahomes understands when that's going to happen, that's where the Jaguars' money's made is their front. If they can get pressure, if they can really create havoc, you know, that's where their defense is going to be good. But I think that's why last, got, last game the Chiefs' offense felt so easy because the offensive line and Mahomes were doing so well in pass protection. So that is one of the big keys here. But – you're right. Their defense has come on strong, and it's because their front can get some stuff done. They can be pretty dangerous. Yeah, the other thing that's a little bit dangerous is you've they've got a couple of uh, guys that are that are hard to cover. Uh, Christian Kirk uh, gave uh, Legereus Sneed fits in that game, at least yes. for part of the game. Oh, yeah. uh, he, he was good again this week in, in the playoffs. Uh, ETN now being healthy is a, is a good back and, and a speedy guy that, that can give them some trouble. Uh, Evan Ingram is a uh, a tight end slash wide receiver is, is somebody that they're going to have to really pay attention to as well. Um, but, you know, again, all credit in this last game to Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, four second half touchdown passes after throwing four first half interceptions, uh, let the chargers charger that one away. And then Lawrence goes to waffle house afterwards. So <laughs> he had a pretty good day uh, with his playoff, uh, his playoff debut as well. Yeah. Yeah, my so, kind of quarterback. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, going forward, looking at this this matchup uh, for the Chiefs, the line last I saw was at eight and a half. Uh, it started off at nine and got a little bit more narrow. Uh, the Chiefs obviously should be the favorite in this game after beating the Jags twenty seven seventeen last time they played. Um, but you know, there's probably a fair amount that has changed since that game for both teams. So. I uh, thought maybe we could look at some of the keys to this matchup specifically. So what are some things that you're looking for that may decide the outcome of this particular game? Let me throw one out to get us started. And you, yeah. can, you can build on it. Uh, first of all, third downs. So I, I noticed a tweet from CJ Scoobs on Twitter. Uh, last time oh, he was played, the Chiefs went 7 of 10 on third down. The Jaguars 4 of 14. Uh, that's a big difference. Uh, that spread of the defense being able to get off the field and the offense being able to extend drives, that may be one of the big the big keys in this matchup if they can have a repeat performance like that where the defense gets off the field, especially. Right. And, and, and hey, that's where – and this is kind of a, a funny way this, this, this game is, is, is both defense, their bread is buttered on third down, both sides of the ball, the Chiefs defense and the Jaguars defense. They want – to get to third down. I mean, every defense wants to get to third down, but that's where this defense, especially Spagnuolo, we're talking about Kansas city. That's where he gets creative, man. That's where he throws out his, his best stuff. That's where, you know, you'll, you'll see the blitzes. You'll see, 
you know, oh, we're going to show six people coming. All of a sudden we, we drop back and, and the quarterback's all confused. You know, he, he, he will mix it up and do those on early downs as well. But that's, you know, Spags wants to live in third down. And, and against a young quarterback, you know, he, he loves it. The thing is, Trevor Lawrence isn't really playing like a young quarterback anymore. So you have to be careful with those blitzes this, this time around. May, you know, maybe the same stuff that worked the first time isn't going to work this time, right? I will say, though, I do think Spags has been saving up some stuff, you know, really, you know, waiting to, to dial up some, some of his most creative blitzes, you know, as the playoffs get here. I think he's been saving some stuff. But real quick before I throw it back to you, on the other side of the ball, I think, you know, it, with that same – the same kind of, you know, with the Jaguars defense being, you know, wanting to get in third down, the Chiefs offense needs to avoid third down. And I think the easiest way to do that, the best way to do that is to run the ball. Pacheco averaged over five yards of carry last time they played. And that was kind of Pacheco's first big kind of like, OK, like he's, he's really looking better. He looks like he's improved read, you know, reading his blocks and everything. That was the first time I really noticed Pacheco make a notable improvement. So. That's that's where I, I do think on the other side of the ball, the Chiefs need to avoid third down, and and that means staying ahead of the sticks. You know, a quality run game and and just completing passes on early downs. You know, the other thing that we talked about earlier in the season was how the coverage, not just the blitz scheme, but the coverage schemes had been pretty simplistic, especially with so many rookies starting back there. Yeah, uh, and then maybe it's starting to evolve a little bit. You've seen some different wrinkles with Legarius Sneed following the team's best corner with some. Uh, different ways that they match up on, on the back end. There may be some things in that bag still yet for them to, to reach in and, and, and throw some things at Lawrence, some disguised coverages, some uh, some different looks in that secondary that he's not used to above and beyond the pressure that you were just talking about. Right. Yeah. No, I, I really think that the, the Spagnolo, there is something to, and I think I mentioned this last time, but hey, he, he likes to, he, he's, he said it as much in the training camp. He likes to use that first quarter of the season to really understand what his defense is. He might have had to use more of the season this time with so many rookies, especially with Trent McDuffie not playing until week 10 was one of his first games. I think it was a second game back against the Jaguars. And it was kind of the first time he really got tested. I remember he, he gave up, uh, I think, a, a, maybe just one big play down a sideline at one point. So I, I, I think you are right. I think I think we're going to see the defense at its maximum uh, chaos, uh, you know, in, in the in the uh, postseason, that's what it needs to be. You know, Spags is a chaos creator. He needs to live in that, create big plays, turnovers, even if it does mean there's some negative sides of that volatility. The other key, as is the key to every single game, but maybe more so than usual, uh, and maybe this is recency bias here too, but I want to talk about turnovers. Yeah. You know, the the Jags just, again, turned the ball over five times. They were uh, got out to a huge deficit because of that. And then we're able to sort of turn things around uh, after that and overcome those turnovers. The first time these two teams played, as pointed out by Lance the Spoken on Twitter, the Jags were, did an onside kick in the opening kickoff and recovered it. Right. Uh, they won the turnover battle 3 0. Uh, you know, this is a. Yeah, I'll, real quick, I'll say Pacheco actually fumbled the opening the opening drive. They were inside the five yard line. Pacheco fumbled it going into the end zone. So yeah, onside oh, kick, right. onside kick, and a fumble to start the game, and they still were up twenty to nothing at one point in the first half. Yeah, the Chiefs were able to overcome those in that last matchup. The Jaguars overcame the turnover issues in their matchup this past weekend, uh, but that is the thing that allows the teams to hang around. And and you know this Chiefs team has been. Turnover ratio has been a problem all season. They haven't really had a lot of games where they were in the plus cult, but you want to let a bad team or a inferior opponent hang around. 
you turn the ball over and you turn it over uh, more than once. So if the Chiefs can play a clean game and not put their defense in bad situations with turnovers, not give the Jaguars a feeling that they have a shot, um, then I, I think the Chiefs should win this one fairly comfortably. But but turnovers really just being that that wild card. Well, I, d- I think this might be a good a good place to bring up. You you sent me, and it was actually Lance again that that said it, um, that tweeted it out. But uh, the divisional round stats for Holmes in his career, because I think the most notable part about that stags was the zero interceptions in four career divisional round games. I'll I'll read them off real quick. Patrick Mahomes' career numbers in divisional round games, 4-0, 69% completion rate, 1,232 passing yards, which is 308 per game, 12 touchdowns and no interceptions, 8.2 yards per attempt, 114 QB rating. I think that that tells you, you know, and, and, and again, Andy Reid off a bye. I think that's another thing, right? I think, you know, and I know turnovers aren't necessarily, you know, a lot of times it's just, hey, you know, someone gets stripped. You know, it's not like schematic. You know, you don't need the – but at the same time, if you're more locked in after, you know, after getting a rest, you know, if you're more focused in on the playoffs, I think you see less interceptions from Mahomes, less interception opportunity, I should say. I know you're going to see less interceptions from him, I think. And then I, I just think you'll see more uh, focus on taking care of the ball. I think that does go into, you know, playing off a of bye week, kind of playing with that locked in mindset. Andy Reid, 21 and three off a of bye week in his career, six and one off the divisional round by, or off the wild card bye week in the postseason. His only loss that 2016 uh, game in, uh, against Pittsburgh that we all, uh, you know, have forgotten by now because Mahomes has, has allowed us to. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, we're, we're um, you know, Mahomes read both of them in a good spot coming off a of bye. Well, what's the other key to this Chiefs defense? When they play well, they tackle well. When, they, when they've when they had struggles, they've had struggles tackling. Uh, again, you've got Travis Etienne who put up, you know, 109 yards on 20 carries this last week against the Chargers. That's a player that you're going to have to get to the ground. Uh, you don't want to get him out in space and, and give him uh, opportunities to break tackles. If the Chiefs defense can play some sound football, the offensive weapons on the Jaguars are not the type that are going to kill you deep. It's not uh, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. It's not Gabriel Davis and Stephon Diggs. You know, they've got Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne. They're going to be running those short to intermediate routes and looking to get some yak. And they've got some guys that can do it. So it is tackling, I think, is a huge key for the Chiefs defense. But also, how do they cover over the middle of the field and that short to intermediate stuff? Right. And this is where a beautiful wrinkle and what we've kind of seen Spags do down the stretch uh, is really going to come in. You know, uh, one part of that wrinkle, the first part is McDuffie playing more in the slot, right? We talked about that a little bit. I'll give you some stats on it. 71% of Trent McDuffie's snaps in the last three weeks of the regular season came in the slot or in the box you know, meaning he's closer to the line of scrimmage, obviously. That number was only 10% prior to that game. So they really wow. weren't using McDuffie at all in the slot before that, that, that mark. I think it was a Seattle game with three weeks ago. They, 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 they trusted him inside and put Snead on the outside, right? We talked about that wrinkle. Well, the other part of that, too, that our guy Nate Christensen has noticed is they like, they've, they've started to like to use Justin Reed a lot more, just manned up on tight ends in, in certain situations. And Gerald Everett is, is, is a lot of times or, – or, sorry, not Gerald Everett. Uh, Evan Ingram, sorry, <laughs> wrong team. Uh, Evan Ingram, same thing, though. They both love their tight ends, Herbert and, and Lawrence. But Lawrence really does like to go to Ingram in, in those spots, man. And, and Ingram's a really – you mentioned kind of receiver slash tight end, man. He can run some routes. He can get himself open. He can create separation. He will have some drop problems at times. That's always, always kind of been throughout his career. But that's where Justin Reed is going to have a huge part in this game on third downs, when they want to send blitzes, 
they're going to trust Reed to man up with with Ingram in spots. And that's where Reed's going to have to prove, hey, I was a good, good signing by any, you know, I think it was a couple weeks ago against Denver. He had a couple pass breakups or no, sorry, excuse me, the, the Raiders, right? He had the pass breakups against Darren Waller. That's the kind of stuff you want to see in this game because it's going to be super important. Again, he likes to go to Evan Ingram in those certain situations. Any other stats of the week that you want to get in before we uh, set up our um, we set up our would you rather coming in coming <laughs> in for the break? Yeah, no, I I got one for you that that you know I I'm glad I got this stat because I do think anecdotally we all know this is true, but um, it's good to see it on the stat and, and something they need to improve on. Uh, the Chiefs rank 31st in Football Outsiders Power Success Metric, which measures the rate in which runs on third or fourth down needing two or fewer yards to convert, achieve a first down or a touchdown. So they're the second worst team in those situations, running the ball, trying to get a first down or a touchdown when they only need two or fewer yards. And what that tells me is this run game, when they're spacing it out, when they, when they get everyone spread out in the defense, you know, those light boxes, they can really go to work. But for whatever reason, when it gets condensed and the defense knows, you know, they, they're coming, they don't get that same push. And, and I don't know if that's just maybe the line hasn't been as healthy all year, um, maybe they're not trusting it as much in, at times, and it's just not getting as many opportunities later in the year because they have been running a lot in the red zone and short yardage situations. I, sh- I should say passing, not running in, in short yardage situations. But I don't know, Stags, when you hear that number, are you surprised or, or is like, eh, I, I can see that? You know, I've heard this said a few times throughout this season on how bad the Chiefs have been on third and short and how great they are on short and lo- on third, third and long. So they're, yeah. I think overall they're still a top five team on third down oh, on absolutely. offense because they're number one on third and long, they're just almost the worst on third and short. Some of that I think is creativity. I think that is, uh, they were missing uh, McCall Hardman and Kadarius Tony in, uh, yeah. in the early or in that, that kind of middle part of the season towards the end. We saw Tony start to take off, uh, especially in the red zone. And with McCall Hardman potentially coming back this week, they're going to have more options. They can do more creative stuff and get some misdirection going, especially on third down. You know, when when teams are, are lined up to stop the run, uh, you want to try to uh, move things around, get some movement out of those linebackers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, key off of that and, and use those end arounds, those screens, those, uh, uh, you know, those sort of, I don't want to go to trick plays, but occasionally some trick plays and, and really make a difference there as opposed to lining up and, and running straight ahead. I do think, though, the interior of this offensive line has been so good yeah. uh, when they're all healthy and all on the field, uh, you can run behind those guys. They just, I think have to be creative about it and can't telegraph it. Uh, the other thing that, that I think hurts that efficiency is they never run quarterback sneaks anymore for, for good <laughs> kneecap reasons. Um, and the fullback dive has been uh, telegraphed, used, whatever teams see that coming. They're all over it. So some of the traditional short yardage plays uh, are just not effective for this team or they're not going to use them. It's a really good point. No, I think that is a big part of it too. And, and real quick, before you throw it to break, I, I will say that you mentioned, you know, getting linebackers moving and stuff. Andy Reid loves to do that. He loves manipulating linebackers horizontally, right? Just like you're saying, Jaguars have some rookie linebackers that play quite a bit for him and, and can absolutely be exploited. So that's another big key of this game. All right. Well, I think it's about time to go to break. We need to get pace the bills, let our, our sponsors have a word. But before that, our traditional would you rathers for the week. We went through a lot of the playoff scenario would you rathers. And in fact, you know, quick shout out. We just got a question from Kyle Seitz. 
Uh, would you rather play the Bengals or the Bills in the AFC Championship game? Uh, we've talked about this over and over again. I'm definitely more fearful of the Bengals than the Bills. I think you're yep. on yep. the same page. So more of a fun, actually not fun at all scenario in the would you rather <laughs> this week. Ron, would you rather that Carl Sheffers be the referee crew for this upcoming game or would you rather the Chiefs have five turnovers like the Jaguars did? Which one of those two would be harder to overcome? So which would you rather have? We'll talk about that after the break. Thanks for sticking with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We'll be right back with you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on the second half of the Auto Structure Podcast, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. This is Matt Stagner with Ron Cobb Jr. And I just put him in a terrible situation. Uh, worst case scenario, probably, for this weekend's Chiefs game. Would you rather face uh, the Jaguars and Carl Cheffers and his crew? Or would you rather gift the Jaguars five turnovers the way that they did the Chargers? Which would you rather uh, try to overcome? I, I think you did a good job here, Stags. Uh, even and out these, you know, making, you know, it's just like Vegas, finding the right spread number, right, in, right the right point line. I mean, this is it, right? Because five turnovers, that's about as impactful as a Carl Sheffers crew, you know, apparently. I mean, you remember that Houston game earlier this year. I mean, it, you know, the defense got third down stop after third down stop, and somehow Houston still got it to overtime because every third down stop turned into a, that's basically a turnover, right? You get a third down stop and, I mean, I get there was at least five of those that got overturned. So I'm I'm gonna have to go with turnovers, man. I trust this. I trust Mahomes and and this crew to uh, to overcome that way more than I trust them to you know overcome. Hey, seven yard touchdown, phantom flag, all of a sudden. Hey, you know, sack for the game winning play. Oh, rough in the passer. Even though there was another bad rough in the passer this week that almost cost the Giants. But really bad. Uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, I, I I'd rather overcome the five turnovers, and I don't think I'd be alone on that hill. Even though it would make the game less fun to watch, I'm going with the Sheffers crew. <laughs> I, I think this team needs to play clean football. And even if they won after turning the ball over five times, you'd be petrified going into the AFC title game sure. with the team having just turned the ball over five times uh, in the divisional round. I, I want to see this team play uh, good football, even if they get a lot of flags. Um, I think you can – you can write that off easier uh, to an out, outlier in the referee crew than you could writing off five turnovers in the playoffs. Uh, I, I think that would be that would be fairly catastrophic. So uh, we didn't 
get the, the question prompt out super early because we're recording a little bit earlier than we typically do this week. So we only have a couple of your questions. Uh, we'll definitely get to those uh, as we go along, but I wanted to do it in the context of this theme to say, what are some of the key positions, uh, position groups or, or key themes that the Chiefs are going to be, or that we should really be focused on as the Chiefs go through the playoffs? And then some of those are going to have off-season ramifications. Obviously, we want to stay in the playoffs because, you know, thinking about the off-season is for those that are going home. The expectation is this Chiefs team should not be going home uh, for at least another, what, close to a month. But yes, in, if we get to some of these questions, the, the first one, uh, which, which I think is, you know, kind of goes back to this, was it always the Jags? Is it, is it, are the Jags some team of destiny? Uh, we got this question about this Saturday curse. And, and I think somebody pointed out that Trevor Lawrence has, is it that he has not lost on Saturday uh, since before college? Like there was ever. never, ever, even yeah. in high school. That's, uh, that's, so, that's a stat, yeah. So Tristan Judd asked, can, can the Chiefs break that curse this Saturday? Uh, as you know, the matchup uh, was just set uh, Chiefs Jaguar Saturday uh, at Arrowhead, uh, are, are they ready to break that curse? Yeah, you know, I, I we probably should answer this earlier because, I mean, yeah, this goes along with my praise for Trevor Lawrence, and it's and it's uh, another feather in his, his cap, right? You know, he he won a national title at Clemson. You know, Clemson's a powerhouse, but have they been a powerhouse since he left? You know, I, I you know he won a national championship there, went to another for a reason. That dude's a winner. That dude played three years of starting college football and didn't lose a, a game on Saturday. That doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, I, I, Trevor Lawrence, absolutely, you know, I, I, this weekend showed me, you know, showed me why he's a number one pick, showed me why, you know, he should be considered, you know, the ceiling of an elite quarterback. I don't think you can say he's elite right now. You know, he still needs to prove a lot more. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think the Chiefs are ready for it, obviously, but I just, I love this stat because it just shows you that it, it's just another example of why Lawrence really shouldn't be maybe overlooked and what the difference is between maybe him and Herbert, you know, Herbert, you know, he won a Rose Bowl in college. You know, he won the Rose Bowl game MVP. That's, you know, that, that's cool. But, you know, Lawrence was playing on the big stage, you know, uh, you know, before he was 20, you know, right? I mean, he was a true freshman playing, winning a national championship. So uh, this just kind of shows you that he, he is ready for a big moment. And so no one should really, you know, no one should look at him as like that young quarterback that's going to get phased. Although Arrowhead's going to do their best, man. I bet Arrowhead, you know, has, has some tricks up their sleeve to, to get him phased. You know, th this could be the year of the trend busters when it comes to, uh, some of these these big outlandish records. Uh, the Chiefs lost to the Bengals on December fourth, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, that was Mahomes' first de December loss, right? It, it broke that big November mm -hmm. December streak uh, for this team. You know the the Jags obviously uh, making the playoffs, which is a you know and and the the Chargers both after not having made it with their franchise quarterbacks, and and maybe the Saturday curse is the next one to break. Um, and then, and then hopefully after that, if the Chiefs have to play the Bengals, they can bust out of this, you know, three straight uh, losses to to the Bengals team. You know, eventually these these trends, these uh, nevers and and alwayses get broken, and and I think it certainly could be time for that this weekend. Starting this weekend, though, and going forward, uh, what are some other keys to this playoff run? that, again, have implications throughout the rest of the season uh, and beyond. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the pass rush. 
you know, the Chiefs pass rush has, you know, been something that there's been a lot of hand wringing and complaining about over the past, you know, couple of years in Kansas City, ever since that Super Bowl run, when they were key and clutch and they really got after the quarterback, they haven't been quite the same. Frank Clark hasn't been the guy he was then. But this season, they found a formula, I think. They found this combination of players that seems to be getting to the quarterback at a higher rate. They're, they've got good pressure numbers and good sack numbers this season, uh, which is – so you can't really say it's as fluky uh, as, as some of those teams that have good sack numbers and bad pressure numbers, right? And it's not just coming from one guy. Chris Jones obviously had a career year, 15 and a half sacks, ties his career high. He also was much better against the run um, and, you know, batting down passes. I mean, you've got this whole defensive front with Karloftis having a very good rookie season, with Carlos Dunlap, with uh, Mike Dana, Colin Saunders. I mean, there's contributions from across this front, uh, including Frank Clark. Uh, what do you think about the pass rush against the Jaguars and throughout the playoffs going forward? Obviously, it's a key. This whole defense works off of pressure. If they get home, if they get after the quarterback, and they can close out games, it's going to be uh, – we're going to look back and say that was one of the reasons this team was a Super Bowl champion in 2022-2023. In it's because of the pass rush. Yeah. No, I, I do think they need they, they need a little more love, a little more credit, just a unit you know, overall than, than they've gotten. I mean, you, you talk about 55 sacks in a regular season. I know they have the extra game, but – that's the most any Andy Reid defense has gotten in the Chiefs era. You know, the, the second most was 52 in 2018. We had three players have, what, nine, ten-plus sacks that year? Justin Houston, D. Ford, and Chris Jones all. That was an insane pass rush year, and, and this Chiefs team got more sacks in that unit. That, that should tell you something. And, and that 2018 team, the reason they were pass rushing so much is because teams were willing to throw all over them. Um, you know, that, you know, and, and this year, I guess you get the advantage of, Hey, you know, if the chiefs are up, you know, the other team's throwing all that, but all that to say is, is this pass rush unit has for the most part gotten the job done, especially down the stretch. When you look at the Jaguars specifically, Trevor Lawrence does, he, it is, he's a kind of, he's a very unique quarterback because he has the build of like a Mike Glennon, like a guy that should not be moving as, <laughs> as, as slippery. And as well, you'd think he would just be a statue in the, in the pocket, he got those Peyton Manning comps as a, as a prospect, but he can move, man. And he's a little Joe Burrow-ish in that way where you may underrate how well he can move. He might slip around you. He might be able to outrun you to the edge. And, and that's where the Chiefs pass rush is going to have to dial in and really you know, corral him. The thing is, they did that the first time. They got five sacks on him the first time they played. And so that's an encouraging sign because I, I you know, Lawrence's athletic ability is underrated and a big part of his game. You know, I don't think, you know, he's he is as good at that as Burrow. Burrow does just seem to have a really, you know, uh, you know, just just especially with the timing of his routes. And, and that's why Burrow's a year, you know, a, you know, but only a, against the Chiefs for, for and only against it. That is true. Right. You know, it, there's no doubt about that. But, yeah, I think I think the, the pass rush, especially this game, has a huge part in, in, in doing this because, man, I, I thought the Chargers were going to have their way a little bit, but. The offensive tackles of the Jaguars, left tackle Walker Little and right tackle Jawan Taylor, had a really good game against uh, Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack, and uh, that's 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 surprising to me. I thought Bosa and Mack were going to take over that game a little bit and kind of you know really make things hard. So, you know, they're playing well right now, so it's really going to take a good effort. You know, it's really going to take Chris Jones, you know, leading the way, but it's going to take good effort from the edge players to to create enough pressure on Lawrence. The good thing about the Chiefs' defense is they're able to get pressure 
up the middle. The bad thing is yes. they don't have the speed rushers on the edge, but they've been great attacking across the front in the middle with Chris Jones, Mike Dana going down inside, George Karloftis going down inside. You've got a versatile front that can get pressure right up the gut. Um, so I, I think that might be an opportunity for them this week and in, in future games. I do think that Joe Cullen is going to be one of the heroes of this run if all goes well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you're also going to see, you know, Chris Jones being that that he is the cornerstone of this defense. He's the cornerstone of the pass rush. He is the, you know, the, the reason that they're successful. Uh, everything else works when Chris Jones is working. And he's been phenomenal this season. This stat, again, I was talking about streak busters. This this stat that Chris Jones does not have a playoff sack in his career yet, even though he's been impactful at times. That's insane. Is nuts. Um, (laughs) He'll tell you that, like, you know, letting Joe Burrow out of his grasp is is one of his big regrets of his entire career. Let's see if he can break that streak this season. You know, getting after uh, guys in the playoffs, being able to close games out. You know, can Chris Jones be the new Frank Clark, the, the closer uh, with, with Frank Clark, you know, obviously still in the mix. If Chris Jones has a big playoff run, the Chiefs are going to go far. If he has a big playoff run also, uh, his, his agent's going to be pretty excited because <laughs> Jones is going to be asking for a new deal this offseason, and it's going to be big. Um, my question to you is, do you think that he gets a big deal to stay in Kansas City if he has a great postseason or if he has a terrible postseason – is the is the future of Chris Jones in Kansas City up in the air based on how he plays and how he rushes the quarterback this this postseason? Well, that's the thing is 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 his future. You know, in my opinion, his future in Kansas City is is secure in terms of I do think he'd be here next year. You know, in my opinion, again, you know, this is I know people you know may disagree, but I think he's here no matter what because if you look at it, you know, in one way, if he has a really good postseason. I do think he earns the right to say, hey, look, I, you know, I, I want to extend my deal, get, you know, get, a, you know, a little bit bigger of a per year deal. And shoot, man, you know, with losing Frank Clark's contract this year and, you know, having George Karloftis on your on his rookie deal, it's a it's probably a worthy investment. I, I'd say it is a worthy investment to secure him, even if he is getting a little older, make him the centerpiece of your pass rush while you try to develop guys around him. You don't have the Frank Clark cost to really make it, you know, too hard, uh, you know, this time. Um, hopefully it helps a little bit, but on the flip side, if you do, if he does have a bad postseason, I don't think he has the right to say anything about getting a new deal, getting ex- he may, right. You know, he, he, every player is going to try to get theirs and he did just have 15 and a half sacks, but the bad taste in, in, in the mouth of, 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 you know, him and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the chiefs front office, whoever's negotiating with him, if he is a reason, if the pass rush doesn't come alive again in the postseason. I just don't think he has the right – and maybe that causes some disruption, right? Maybe that's where this comes in, and, and maybe Chris Jones thinks that's unfair, that, hey, 15 and a half sacks, I, I showed it. You know, you do need to show me something. That's where it gets interesting. But in my opinion, I think either way, it ends up with him in Kansas City because I think, I think they want him, and if he wants the deal, they're going to give it to him. But even if he disappoints and, you know, they, I just don't think he – he may not even ask for the deal, although that's that's pretty hard to say, right? I mean, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. He, but they're gonna ask. They're gonna ask. Yeah, fifteen and a half sacks is a lot. That's true. It's a good point, point. and so maybe but that's you, where this comes in. Do you think this is a five million dollars a year swing for Chris Jones? Is one of the things I was I was thinking about. So I heard Carrington Harrison on on six ten and 
uh, he was talking to Nate Taylor about this question is, you know, what's the value for Chris Jones? A lot of people say he could rival the deal that Aaron Donald has, which is 31 million a season right now. Um, and he has a case for that. He played better than Aaron Donald this year. He's younger than Aaron Donald by a full three years. So you can get a three-year contract in there at that $30 million level, and he'd be fully justified in asking for that. Uh, from the Chiefs' standpoint, you know, you, you think that they the they didn't pay Tyreek Hill the top of the market. They they mm-hmm. got they offered allegedly fairly close with some funny money involved, right? Do you think the Chiefs are willing to pay thirty million dollars a year to keep Chris Jones? Uh, if you win a Super Bowl with him and he's got three three sacks along the way, you know it's going to be pretty hard to say no to that. Right. Uh, Otherwise, do you try to hold fast in the you know the mid twenties and 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 offer a team friendly deal and say, listen, you know we got to build more, we got to add more pieces. We didn't, you didn't quite get it done this year. We need to uh, mm-hmm. uh, we need to build around you. You know, do us do us a solid here and and yeah. take 25, 26, 27. I mean, that's it's it's going to be an interesting negotiation. I, I think is what I'm getting at. No, it's no, I. I ideally yeah we're, we're thinking in an ideal world but if you're chris jones you have to take advantage of the of the leverage you have with 15 and a half sacks at this point you you're right there's no way he can he, he's going to go into the offseason set and and probably just you know not think about you know taking advantage of this op, you know the the situation he's in he's not he's not going to get 15 and a half sacks again i'll 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 go on the record right now i i doubt he does i i think that was that was probably the last time he's getting 15 and a half doesn't mean he can't get double digit but He's, I would say either way, he's worth he's worth the investment because you're in a great situation where you have a lot of rookie defenders, you have a lot of guys on rookie deals in your defense. You might as well supplement that by getting that one star because there is one thing in the, about this playoffs that that's uh, maybe easy to overlook. The Chiefs might have the most dangerous front four in the AFC playoffs because of him. No other AFC opponent has that top tier edge rusher or top tier, sorry top tier pass rusher. You know, like a Chris Jones, you know, look at the Bills. They have depth, but they don't have a top guy. Look at the Bills or the Bengals. Trey Hendrickson, okay, yeah, yeah, he's a good player. Maybe really good against Orlando Brown, but he's not an elite, you know, one of the star pass rushers in this league. Jacksonville doesn't have one either. The Chiefs do, and that matters. And that, and I think that may end up being a, a big part of this by the end of the postseason is saying, hey, we complained about the Chiefs pass rush all year. Well, when it came down to it, they had the best guy, even if they didn't have the, you know, maybe the best unit, and that mattered. Yeah, now that Bosa and Mack were knocked out in this round, I think you, you've got a solid case there, especially with Von Miller being hurt uh, for, for Buffalo. Exactly. So some of those those big names aren't really left in the tournament at this point. So, yeah, the pass rush is obviously one huge key. Stopping the opponent's pass rush, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this offensive line, but I feel like the offensive tackle position is going to be an interesting one this postseason. Uh, we've – there have been times this season where everybody wanted to point out the fact that Wiley and Brown have given up more pressures and more quarterback hits than any other tandem in the league. Uh, but both have been playing better of late, particularly Orlando Brown. And he's another guy who's playing for a contract. And, and again, his case will be dramatically different if you go through this postseason with a clean game, with a, a high rated game out of Orlando Brown in each of the playoff games. Uh, all of a sudden you're talking about somebody who, who helped you win a Super Bowl and is probably going to get paid like it. If, if the Chiefs struggle, if he struggles, um, then 
you know, it's going to be a real debate this off season. It's, it's crazy to put an entire career or an entire, you know, um, hundred million dollar contract on the line based on how a guy plays in the next three games. But it feels like that's where it's headed. Yeah. If you're Orlando Brown jr. You have an awesome opportunity right now, a really great opportunity, not just because it is the playoffs and obviously, you know, whoever you're playing, you have a great opportunity to prove something, but the Jaguars don't have that top tier edge rusher. And the things that Josh Allen and Trayvon Walker are good at, I think Brown matches up well against. They're really powerful. They're guys that can overwhelm offensive tackles, not necessarily the fastest, bendiest dudes. Orlando Brown can deal with that. That's that's what he's good against. If 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 the bill the Bills win their game and match up with the Chiefs in the AFC Championship, no Von Miller, and the rest of the Bills defensive ends, good players, good players, not bendy, not necessarily fast coming around the edge, you know, dipping. They are, you know, guys that are going to show strength, power, and win with that. Brown matches up well against that. What I'm getting at is Brown could have a, a two, two. He has an opportunity to have two really good games these next two games. Um, hopefully, you know, he's hoping the Bengals don't win because that's where it could get messy. Uh, Trey Hendrickson loves to give him the business, but if, if it you is, you gotta think that the Chiefs are going to scheme around that a little bit if that comes to to fruition. Well, of course, right? like, they're going to, of course, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, now that they've got a full complement of tight ends, with a, the exception of Jody Fortson being on IR, you know, they've been running more of that 13 personnel group where there's three tight ends on the field. You can see a lot of scenarios where there's tight end help, where there's Jarek McKinnon help, which is like an extra offensive lineman in a tiny package. Um, so you could, you got to think that they're going to give Brown help against the really bad matchups he's going to face, like Hendrick. Well, of course. Yeah, exactly. No, absolutely. They're going to give him help. Um, the thing is, I don't think he needs as much help against the Jaguars and the Bills. He'll need it more against the Bengals. And that's where what, what I'm getting at is I really feel like we're talking about this offseason. If he has two really good games because they match just because they get a good matchup, right? If he had Von Miller in, in the Bills, all of a sudden, maybe he looks bad. And, and this whole offseason, he has a different you know way to negotiate. But he is kind of set up if the if the Bills can't can beat the Bengals. He's set up to have two good matchups in a row where he can really say, look, in the postseason, when it mattered most for the second year in a row, you know, I, I will say the AFC Championship last year wasn't his greatest game, but, you know, the Bills game and, and the Steelers game were good games for him too. I did the thing. I, I protected Mahomes. You know, I allowed our offense to score a lot of points. You know, I, I just feel like it's set up for him to kind of have that uh, say, you know, in the offseason. Well, the other position group, and, and we had a question from our guy, Rocky, that he just put out there to the, to the masses on Twitter this week about what the Chiefs wide receiver room looks like going forward. I'm really intrigued to see how these this group works in the postseason. The Chiefs have obviously the – this is the story of the season, is moving on from Tyreek Hill, moving into this situation where they have a number of different receivers where they're spreading the ball around. Mahomes has thrown touchdown passes to, what, 11 different receivers or something like that this season. He's really – it's really going to be interesting that when – the postseason games are on the line. Who can they rely on? Who steps up? Who gets open? Who brings it in? Who drops a pass uh, when they really need it? Um, it's really going to be an interesting dynamic to watch this entire wide receiver room with thoughts on how do they advance, number one, but also who's making the case that they've got to be part of this roster next year. So, Kadarius Tony has really been coming on as of late. We mentioned McCall Hardman coming back. Uh, you've got Juju, who's been banged up, but has been uh, really, really good this season. 
MVS, Watson. I mean, you've got a lot of different options. Uh, Sky Moore, who hasn't done much yet, but is obviously part of the future plans. Do they give it some unique looks with these guys this off this postseason? Are they going to bring out some wrinkles of this offense where all of a sudden Sky Moore is getting you know ten targets all of a sudden, or or something else uh, that you didn't see coming uh, this postseason? Or are they going to go kind of to the tried and true, you know, guys who have been delivering for them uh, all season? What do you think the the looks uh, uh, for the Chiefs' offensive weapons are going to be? And then my follow up question is going to be about the off season. Yeah, no, I, I think Tony is the one with the biggest opportunity to show something that he maybe, you know, I, I don't want to say hasn't shown yet because he has shown a lot in, in very limited snaps. Tony has, has shown quite a bit in, in the limited opportunities he's gotten, and that's a testament to how well he's been able to learn the offense, how much Andy has trusted him to do some of the stuff they've done with him in the multitude of ways, man. He's run wheel routes out of the backfield. He's run jet sweeps. He's run, you know, uh, crossing routes. You know, it's it's deep crossers. I mean, he is really being used all over the place, but I still don't think we've seen, you know, I, that's just the tip of the iceberg, I should say, because, you know, I, I, I think, and, and Lewis Riddick did kind of, you know, leak, you know, we know Lewis Riddick knows, you know, is, is part of the, you know, is, is inside Chiefs building a little bit, kind of knows what they're thinking. He did let it slip in that Monday, or not that Monday, but the, uh, the Chiefs Raiders game, you know, it was the ESPN broadcast. He let it slip that, you know, they think Kadarius Tony might be the best wide receiver on this team. Um, and, and I think Which he has... Yeah. Which is nuts, by the way. Like, just the concept <laughs> of that, like a, a late, you know, midseason addition, complete failed first round pick. After all that they've been through this season, after all of the players they brought in in the last 12 months, the idea that he could be essentially your number one guy going forward is, is just bonkers to me. Right. But I could see how, right? Because he, the way he can do the different things he can do, the, the multitude of ways you can use him, you know, and, 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 you know, I'm only saying it because of, of how he was used in the offense, but it is, it is why Tyreek kill was a number one wideout in Kansas city, because he was able to do everything. He wasn't just one, you know, doing one thing or the other Tyreek could go up and get a jump ball, you know, and then Tony has shown that he can too. You know, it's not the same level of talent, obviously, but it's a, it's a, it's a similar type of talent type of player. And I do think it's why you could see maybe him take off and really, you know, he could maybe if, even if he doesn't lead the team in targets in the postseason, I think by the end of it, we could see Tony, you know, if you want to like mark down impactful plays, I think he could lead the wide receiver room in impactful plays by the end of the postseason. You know, we got a question just now from Alex Guerrero, uh, 55 on Twitter. Is this going to be a breakout with Tony and Hardman on the field at the same time? And I think that's, that could be really fascinating to see how they use those guys together because they, they've tried to use Hardman in a lot of those things. And he's, Hardman's been very successful in very specific ways in those kind of tunnel screens or those right. uh, situations where he gets the ball and can immediately get upfield. What we haven't seen since his rookie year are, is Hardman getting, getting loose down the field and getting the long, the, the deep pass. So is there a scenario where they've got Tony doing more of the underneath stuff and Hardman going deep or, or vice versa? Can you use both of them? at the same time by using them differently yes. or are these guys redundant in, in the playoffs and in the way that they use them. So that's going to be fascinating to see if they can, if they can figure that out and give opportunities to both of them it could be a really dynamic look that teams are just not ready for. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, 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 you're hitting at the thing that is really cool about them being on the field together is that they both can do similar things, 
the defense doesn't know which one they're going to, you know, which one of them is going to do the deep, you know, the deep route and the jet sweep on each play. You don't know, you know, one of them, you know, they, it could switch back and forth between each time. One of them could be the underneath crosser. The other could be the one, you know, uh, going deep, obviously. And Hardman's obviously the, 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 the better deep threat because he is faster straight ahead. You know, Tony has straight ahead speed, but just not to the same extent. Um, but Tony's better with the ball in his hands, just, you know, trying to avoid tacklers. I mean, he is, you know, Hardman's a little more, you know, straight ahead, but you know, they, they both get yards after catch, but they yeah. do it in very different ways. Right. Yeah. You know, Tony's stop, start, move, spin, you know, like right. he's got that joystick thing going on. Hardman yeah. is so good when he's able to just like, he's put his foot in the ground and go straight forward. He goes straight forward faster than just about anybody else in the league when he has that chance. And I'd be remiss to uh, not mention the stat uh, on, on, on Kadarius Tony McCole Hardman. I dug this up. But Patrick Mahomes' passer rating when targeting either Tony or Hardman is over 139 to both of them. 139 passer rating. That's the two highest marks among Chiefs pass catchers uh, with over two targets. And Hardman actually has the second highest passer rating when targeted among all NFL pass catchers with over 10, 10 targets. Wow. So, so good things happen when you target Hardman. Tony is sixth on that list. So two of the six receivers, minimum 10 targets, with the most, the best passer rating when targeted are on the Chiefs. That just tells you they utilize them in really good ways, and they're just good players when they get the ball in their hands. That's, that, it kind of just comes down to that. Well, there's two guys on this Chiefs roster that are very low on that list, um, and, and I'm talking about uh, MVS, who has been uh, a relatively high-variance type player um, he's been exactly what he's been throughout his entire career, which is somebody who will make a great catch and then will drop the next one that's right in, in his hands. And I feel really nervous whenever they target him, especially on third downs. I, I love the opportunities that, that he gets, but every time I see a, a, you know, especially a third and two where they decide to throw it deep to MVS, I, I'm just beating my head up against the wall because it is one of those situations where, it's less than a 50, 50 chance that he makes that catch. And, and you've got a lot of other, we just talked about Tony and, and uh, McCall Harvey. You got a lot of other players, including Juju Smith-Schuster, who is extremely reliable at, at getting you the yards that you need. And yet you decide to throw the, uh, the YOLO uh, <laughs> play, which is throwing to, to MBS. So as you look forward to this wide receiver room, throughout this postseason and going into next year. Rocky's question on Twitter was, who are your top five going into next season? I caught some flack because I tend to think the Chiefs are going to stay more status quo. I think the next year's top fives are going to be Juju, Tony, Sky Moore, MVS, and Watson. And then they'll bring in a, another rookie to, to round out the room. I feel like you've got maybe some disagreements on that, but uh, in my assumption – uh, I'm saying that Hardman goes elsewhere, that Juju resigns, and that everything else stays status quo, um, and they don't make any other really big moves in free agency or, or trades. What are you thinking about the future of this room before we get to the postseason? Obviously, that can change during the postseason. Yeah, right. No, it, it absolutely can change. We've seen a guy like Sammy Watkins prove his worth in the postseason, and and really, you know, show that you know no matter what he does in the regular season, you want him around on the team because you know you're going to be playing in January. You could have the same situation with a guy like MVS, maybe, if he steps up. But that's where we're going to disagree here, Stags. And, and you kind of just – you said it yourself there. You, you, meant, you listed four receivers – you listed three receivers before you got to MVS. You're, are you really going to keep MVS if he's your fourth receiver in line and, and he's, he's making the, the kind of 
money he is when you can get out of that contract and fill that spot with a rookie, a guy you take in the top 50 or 60 picks again, like with a, a, like a, just another Sky Moore. And then you have Tony Sky and, and, and then a, a third rookie. You have guys that you that were top 50 picks in three straight classes as your receivers, all getting reps, all developing under Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that's where that, that's where it's headed. I think MVS could could show something, and the deal's not crazy. Where it's like, okay, we you know it's a pain to deal to pay him. He, he, it's a pretty solid deal, but I think they signed that deal really banking on him developing into more than what he was. But you said it yourself; he is just all he ever was, and I think this year proved that. And I think they're just going to say, hey, look, we took a chance, may, hoping he could develop into more than he was. He's not, so we're going to move on. Hope a, a rookie receiver can kind of develop into that role and be uh, something more than that. So, yeah, it's it's no MVS. And then I think Justin Watson's probably going to be this team's new Demarcus Robinson. He's going to hang around. He's going to be a good special teamer, and he's going to be the fifth receiver. And so I think that's how the receiver room rounds out. Yeah, we'll see. I just had this feeling that there might be a discrepancy, and I feel this way a lot, by the way, between how the Chiefs see a player and how the Chiefs fans and media see a player. I, I think MVS, uh, along with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, are players that I think the team probably likes more than we do. Uh, we know Justin Watson is a player that they like more than we do, right? <laughs> given by the, the way they've used him. Uh, and I think both of those other guys are as well. You know, if you look at the 2023 salary rankings um, on spottrack.com, you've got Mark Weswaldo scanning at eight and a half million, which is right on par with Tyler Boyd, Tim Patrick, Deontay Johnson, Zay Jones, Cedric Wilson, Hunter Renfro. I mean, you know, it is, it's not, they're not paying him like an elite wide receiver. Um, yeah. They're paying for some veteran presence and production uh, and, and they're paying for a deep threat, which they don't really have they, this year for all the big plays this offense has generated. Not very many of them have been on deep passes. Uh, and, and so I think he brings something different than the rest of the room. Uh, I think you and I both agree that this decision may come down to whether they keep Juju Smith-Schuster or not. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. If you don't keep Juju, then I think it's even more important to have at least uh, a grown up in the room uh, with all the rest of the kids that they're going to have back. <laughs> but if, if, uh, if they do keep Juju Smith-Schuster, they're still very complimentary skill sets. Uh, so we'll see. And again, maybe some of that has to do with the postseason. So if you see uh, MVS, you know, taking the top off of defenses and, and really mixing it up in the postseason, Maybe he makes a couple of clutch catches uh, that, that I'm not expecting him to. Uh, then all of a sudden it eases some of that pressure to move on and taking those dead money hits, which I don't think this team likes to do uh, a lot of is rack up dead money on contracts. And so they, they drew up his contract in a certain way for a reason. You're right. I think they, they were hoping that he could be more than what he has been, but also receivers are expensive and this market's only going up. Salary cap's only going up. I think you, you know, a lot of people who are saying he's super expensive uh, are maybe, you know, just looking at the raw numbers. But if you look at him in comparison, and if you look at what the salary cap's likely to do over the next couple of years, could you go and replace him on the veteran free agents market much cheaper? I'm not sure that you could. Yeah, you could draft a guy, but as we know, draft picks are, are hit and miss. So I, I think they still draft a receiver either way. Uh, but We'll see. We'll see how the postseason plays out before we know for sure if, if he sticks around or not. Yeah, no, the dead cap, 
thing is, you know, it's important, right? No team wants to pay guys that aren't on their team anymore. Um, you know, it's a four million dead cap next year if he was cut. Um, and and I do see, you know, that's that's not nothing. You know, it's not a big number, but it's not a small number number either. Um, and so that's where you know your your argument there is is you know something. But I will say, you know, you talk about Juju getting signed and and where this receiver free agent market is. Juju's going to be able to ask for quite a bit. And all of a sudden, if you're paying Juju, you know, close to top of the top receiver money, maybe you don't even want to give any, you know, give any sort of investment to the rest of your receiver room um, and, and just kind of let it all be rookies, depending on what Juju's contract is. This year, Juju's contract was nothing. And so you were able to sign two free agents that were both quality guys. But if Juju's contract is going to be pretty big next year, on top of Kelsey's contract already in the, in the receiving room, and obviously, you know, you're working on Orlando Brown on offense, seeing if, if you might have to franchise tag him, have that cap hit. That's where I maybe think, you know, hey, you get the big veteran receiver, you get you lock your guy down, and then the rest of them just need to be guys developing, young guys, you know, uh, you know, working to to eventually, you know, earn their deal when that when it comes up themselves. Definitely a position to watch. I think the production from this group is going to be one of the big stories. It's been this story all season again with the comparison to Tyreek Hill. Uh, how does this group look? Does Mahomes get enough help when he needs it? Uh, any other big keys to this uh, postseason? Any position groups or? Uh, or, or other aspects of this Chiefs team that you're really going to be watching for? You know, it, the defense just in general, obviously, is a lot to watch, right? you got a lot of rookies that are going to, you know, prove something one way or another, you know, taking steps. You know, they're going to grow up in front of our eyes. They kind of already have. You know, I think the cornerbacks, I, I think you're really going to – we're really going to know if Trent McDuffie, you know, is going to be this, this special player. I think he already kind of looks like he's on his way, but, you know, he's going to get some tough matchups in this postseason at, at every stage including this, this upcoming game, man, you know, Lawrence is going to test him. Lawrence has a really good arm. He does get a little erratic at times, but we're going to see McDuffie guys like Joshua Williams too. Although I will say Jalen Watson has seemed to have taken that spot. So I should say Watson seems to be, um, you know, getting the majority of those snaps. So we're going to learn a lot about the corners. It's just not going to change much about this off season, right? You know, no, no matter what you're sticking with the guys, you know, they're developing right now. You're in a good spot. But in, in terms of just learning more about this postseason, I think I, I am excited to see how the corners respond to, to big moments. You know, they're going to grow up right in front of our eyes. And this week with that stat that you pointed out earlier, Trent McDuffie playing in the slot, that's where the Jaguars do most of their damage with right. uh, Christian Kirk. And and that's somebody who, who again, for as good as Snead, is, Snead has been this year, well, Jerry Snead struggled against Kirk in, in the first matchup, yes. especially in the first half. So, yeah, McDuffie will get a test of his slot cornerback abilities right away in this game and then all of the outside corners are going to be challenged in the AFC championship game regardless yeah. of whether it's Buffalo or Cincinnati they're going to be challenged uh, with size and speed and quarterbacks who can put it you know in the position where only their guy can catch it that's a little scary and it comes to you know a full complement of, of a team game to make that work you need your safety's help you need the pass rush clicking uh, and you need these young corners playing well uh, on on defense. And finally, the other aspect of the game. Sorry, did you have something else on corners before? Well, you I, it's not that important, but I guess I guess there is maybe a, a way where second corner, you know, Jalen Watson, Josh Williams is such a liability that maybe we all come away thinking, man, we do need to grab a veteran corner to to be on the outside with McDuffie or something. You know, maybe there is something there. I could see that path maybe, but I don't know. I think they didn't need to stick with the young guys, and I'm sure you probably agree. Yeah, I haven't seen that being as much of an issue now, now that Dan Sorensen and uh, Ben <laughs> Neiman are no longer on this roster. You haven't seen a lot of, hey, this guy is the liability, pick on him. Darius Harris at the linebacker position is probably the closest thing they have right now. <laughs> yeah. If you see 47, you go after him. But 
Otherwise, you know, there's not any guaranteed wins. The, these great quarterbacks will test those rookies. And I think, I think they already know they're not going to test Trent McDuffie uh, necessarily. You're not going to target McDuffie on purpose, mm-hmm. uh, but they'll go after Watson or Williams, whoever uh, is, is in that spot opposite uh, of Snead and McDuffie. And I think you'll probably see them throwing to the middle of the field in the short area mm-hmm. and testing the linebackers in coverage more than you will uh, the, the other corners in their strengths. But um, you're right. When you go up against elite quarterbacks, and that's what the Patriots did so well for so many years. That's what Tom Brady does, no matter who he's playing with, is where's the weakness on the defense? And they will hit it over and over and over and over again. And it's up to the offense to adjust to that. We'll see if that happens uh, this time. Uh, maybe it's Gabe Davis in the in the championship game. Maybe it's Jamar Chase again. You know, But uh, at least for this round, I'm not worried about Trevor Lawrence doing that, but, but maybe in the, in the title games. Yeah, no, Lawrence Lawrence doesn't have the receivers, I think, to really make him pay. Um, you know, I think he's really made his receivers look better than, than they probably are. Not that they haven't had good seasons. You know, Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, Christian Kirk. Kirk is a really good slot receiver, but, uh, yeah, I think McDuffie has a good game there. So, yeah, no, it's I, I think you're right. I think AFC Championship is really where the corners, maybe that second spot, will really be tested to its fullest extent. This is a legacy-defining postseason for Patrick Mahomes, for Andy Reid, for this Chiefs franchise. You can come out of this with a Super Bowl title, and, and again, have that dynasty talk, or you could say uh, this is the Patrick Mahomes era has a chance to be disappointing uh, based on how these, this postseason comes, uh, comes to fruition. So it'll start this week. They got to play a clean game against the Jaguars. Uh, they've got to play their, their best. They got to not turn the ball over. Don't give uh, an opponent who's not yet on the same level. Don't give them the hope uh, that comes along with a bunch of turnovers, or a bunch of sloppy plays. That's what I'm looking forward to, a clean game against the Jaguars and then just a slugfest in the AFC title game after that. Uh, Ron, any final thoughts on what you're looking forward to? Yeah, yeah, prevailing thoughts here. I I do think it's important to kind of end this show by saying, you know, the Chiefs can't waste this opportunity to get to another Super Bowl. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like in the Super Bowl. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking that far ahead, but tell tell yourself in week 10 that the Jacksonville Jaguars would be the opponent for the Chiefs after, after a divisional round bye. That is a gift. And for the Bengals and Bills, who both had to play really hard games in wildcard weekend to again beat the, each other up in the divisional round. And the Chiefs are set up to face one of them, whether it's, you know, none, neither game is going to be in the other team's stadium. You can't waste this opportunity. Anything, you know, I, I know we talked about this last, that last show, but, you know, I, I, I think that a successful season is getting to the Super Bowl. Anything short as a failure. We'll talk about winning the Super Bowl once we get to that point. But at this point right now, Stags, and I think you'll agree, just no excuses. They have to get to a Super Bowl in this year. And there's just there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Well, that starts on Saturday against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this has been the Out of Structure Podcast. Hopefully we're back talking with you again early next week, knowing who the Chiefs are going to play in the title game for the AFC, for the Lamar Hunt Trophy, uh, for all the marbles, a chance to go to the Super Bowl. It's an exciting time. The NFL playoffs, it's been a fun ride so far. It's going to get better when the Chiefs get in it. Uh, so for Ron Cobb Jr., Matt Stagner at the Out of Structure Podcast, thank you for sticking with us, spending some of your time uh, with us today. Make sure you rate, review, listen to all the other Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network shows. Read our work on arrowheadpride.com, and, and let's look forward to another Chiefs victory, and we'll talk to you next week.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.